I think sales training has been broken for a long time. I was just thinking about how many companies that do one day training in their sales kickoff. And then I'm thinking, well, I think there are 12 big pieces of sales that you need to master. So we're gonna give them that over the course of 12 years. That should work. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Win Rate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Anthony Iannarino. And Anthony is one of my guests on this episode of the Win Rate Podcast. Many of you know Anthony as a prolific writer, speaker, and author of multiple best selling books, including Elite Sales Strategies. He is, as well, the managing member of the Iannarino Fullen Group, which is a professional staffing firm. And we're actually going to be talking about that just a little bit later. My other guests for this roundtable discussion about sales effectiveness, the buyer experience, and increasing win rates are Mike Bosworth. Now, Mike is an icon in the sales world. Two of his best-selling books, Solution Selling and Customer-Centric Selling, fundamentally modernized B2B selling in so many ways. I mean, I remember reading Solution Selling for the first time. Mike is also the founder of Story Seekers. Also joining us today to talk about the buyer experience and win rates is Vince Vesey. Vince is a multi-time vice president of sales, CRO, and the founder of Sales at Scale, a B2B sales consultancy, accelerating revenue growth for venture capital-backed startups. Now, before we get into today's discussion, I have a few pieces of business to take care of. First, I want to tell you that enrollment is now open for the next session of the Buyer Experience Bootcamp. Buyer Experience Bootcamp is my five-week group coaching program that teaches sellers how to boost their win rates by creating the buying experience their buyers actually want. Because how you sell is how you win. So for more information and to grab a space in this class, go to andypaul.com forward slash bootcamp, andypaul.com forward slash bootcamp. Second, if you're interested in getting even more actionable ideas on a regular basis about how to elevate your sales effectiveness, then you want to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday. And each Wednesday, you'll receive one actionable tip to accelerate your win rates. So to subscribe, visit my website, andypaul.com. As soon as you land, get a chance to subscribe. And finally, I'd be grateful if you could just take a minute right now to subscribe to this podcast, the Win Rate Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See, since this is a new podcast, we really appreciate it. You can also leave us a rating or review because this really helps the show get seen by more people as they search for sales podcasts to listen to. All right. Thank you for that. Are you ready for today's discussion? Well, let's jump right into it. Welcome, everyone. Gosh, I am excited to talk to my guest today. I know I always say I'm excited to talk to my guests today, but look at this lineup. Mike Bosworth, author of one of the yeah, seminal books on B2B selling, solution selling, Anthony Reno, who Anthony always makes me feel inadequate anytime I talk to him. How many days in a row have you written a blog now? 13 and a half years. 13 about. and a half years. Yeah, maybe 5,000 posts or something like that now. That he's wow. written a post every single day. But I think the thing that, as I always tell folks when people ask me about Anthony, I always say, well, he is the most thoughtful person in this profession that I know. And part of that comes from, because in fact, he's reflecting or engaging in some form of reflection every single day, writing an article. Yeah. I mean, if you want to know what you believe in and what you think and how you feel, do this right every single day and you will become this thoughtful. I'll tell person. you the interesting thing is that you find out that you know things that you didn't know you knew. <laughs> 
that's part of the process. You're in your head and you're thinking for an hour. It seems to work. Yeah. I mean, I just haven't written 15,000 or 5,000 days in a row or whatever, but having written some books as you have and all you have, that's a great process of discovery about yourself and the things that you thought you knew and the things that you think you actually do know. Absolutely. And Vince has written a book as well, right? Vince? Well, thinking about it right here. It's right here. You wrote a book? I don't know about that. I wouldn't call it a book. Yeah, all right. Well, we (laughs) talked about it when you were the first time on my show years ago. I haven't written a blog post for 13 and a half years, I'll tell you that. That's (laughs) quite an achievement. You're like the the Cal Ripken of blog posting. Uh, That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Four o'clock in the morning, no one wants your time. That's when you can get your work done. Is that when you're right? Andy, that early hey, morning? I have this distinction. I was at a hockey game until two o'clock in the morning. That's pretty good dedication as well, isn't it? Really? Absolutely. Boy. So, so for time. somebody at your advanced age. <laughs> Don't can't I know all, it? Yeah. Can't all be young living up in the Orcas Islands though. So yeah, I think Mike wins the award in this crowd for living in the most beautiful place among of all of us. So yeah. Well, did you ever, in 1967, there was a movie out with Richard Harris called Emelot. And yeah. I just played that song on YouTube yesterday, and it sounds just like Orpheus Island. <laughs> a, law, a law was passed, Maybe. a distant moon. Yeah. July and August can't be too hot. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? I just saw the revival on Broadway of Camelot just three there weeks go. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't have Richard Harris in it, but it was still good. I know. Well, the song really fits Orcas Island. It really yeah. does. All right. So the first question for this group that I have today is, and I see this sentiment all the time on LinkedIn, which is people sort of disparaging this idea of theory or hypotheses. You know, I just want practical advice, right? Don't give me that theory stuff. It's like, you know. Or the gurus are going to hate this. Yeah, that's I hate it when people lead with that. It's, you know, the gurus are going to hate this. It's like, I, you know, it's usually written by an influencer who's, you know, would love to be a guru. But I think that when I look at sales and, and you know, my belief is that we've actually become less proficient in B2B selling over the years than we compared to years past. The data supports that. Win rates drop. Quota attainments drop. Don't we need more? Innovation in sales, don't we need more theory? Don't we need to, you know, we're in this data-driven age. Why aren't we doing more with the data we have to improve sales effectiveness? Anthony, lead us off. I'm very concerned about this idea about not having a theory. So that is, to me, the same thing as saying not having a strategy. Like your strategy Mm -hmm. has to be built on something that you've recognized and something that says, there is something that we can do here to have an advantage. So when you start saying something like, the gurus are going to hate it, but the, it's I need practical. Yeah, of course you need practical. But you have to start with something bigger than, I would say, theory. I would say strategy, if you want to call it that. And I think when you look at the, even Mike's book, like that was a theory that this has to change because buyers changed and now we have to do something different. And when you start saying, I'm going to take that away, you're sort of taking the why. Why do I have to do it this way? Why are, mm-hmm. why is this more effective? You have to start that. way. And I think any, anybody who writes what you just described, and I see it all the time, I get it. The gurus are going to hate it. We don't hate it. <laughs> we don't really even pay attention to that kind of stuff. Nobody cares right. about, let's say, not good thinking. 
and they want attention. So LinkedIn is just a place to get attention. So I think a lot of it is I'm going to be as provocative as I can just so I can get attention, even though a lot of the people, when I look at them, I don't believe that they actually have thought through what they wrote when they put it up. Yeah. What it says to me, there's a laziness out there. You're either a soldier following somebody else's process or you're an innovator. And very few B2B salespeople are innovators and thinkers. They're following something that somebody else figured out and they're soldiers. Well, most of them are stealing your stuff, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) A lot of it is they're just trying to rewrite what you already wrote. If it's stealable, then AI is going to kick their asses. (laughs) Vince? Yeah, I mean, I'd look at It's silly not to have a theory, right? Everyone should have a theory. But I, as a sales leader, I always looked at, I have an idea, I have a theory, I have a methodology, I have a process, and I want to back up my process or theory by data, right? So at the end of the day, if I'm talking about a subject, it's great to have an opinion, but isn't it better to be backed up by some validation? And what better way to do that than with data, right? Yeah, well, right. But that's the senior executive's position, privilege to be able to do that, that level of thinking. And most field territory B2B salespeople aren't hired to think like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is definitely also a leadership issue for sure. And that that gets back to the point I made before is because, yeah, the technical definition of a theory is it's a principle that you form to explain things that you see in data, right? So the data exists. I come up with a theory to try to explain it. Well, we talk about we're in this data-driven age of sales. Look at the freaking data and come up with a theory as to why win rates are so low and why quota attainment's so low and why sales effectiveness is so low. And that seems to be missing. I mean, this is really a leadership issue more so for me and more so than just, you know, individual contributors, which I agree, my 100%, you know, they're being forced to conform more than being encouraged to be innovative. But how do we, how do we work with leadership to say, look, you've got this data that's telling you a story. What? Have a theory about why it is. Can I tell you a quick story? Oh, absolutely. I was, in, I was engaged by a potential client, and they weren't doing very well. They had very large goals. And the senior sales leader, who was never a salesperson himself and had never man- managed salespeople, asked me to help him get his team to 800% of quota in their pipeline. <laughs> okay. So I've never heard such a thing in my life. Like I haven't heard it. And I said, so your major strategy is to lose 88% of all your deals. That's the strategy. I'm afraid I'm not the right person for this. Because all I care about is sales effectiveness. Like your effectiveness is so low. Your plan is to try to lose a whole bunch of deals. That is not how you are successful in sales. You have to get them effective enough that they get to like 40 or 50% and then you have something to do. But I had to walk away from this and I'm just like, who thinks like this? Did you think that through? It's 88% waste. Why would you spend your time wasting all of that? It makes no sense to me at all. And yet, yeah, there was this big name, the going name that we all know this person, at least by reputation, but actually know him wrote this article, was published on Salesforce's blog, you know, a couple of weeks ago saying you're low, you know, 
the focus now in this today's environment for your it's low hot. win rate sellers, develop more pipeline. <laughs> I'm like, they're losing. They're, they're losing, losing already. <laughs> what are we going to do? Want them to lose more? <laughs> yeah, they like, need to lose more. And, and hopefully they'll win something on the way. <laughs> the thing that B2B sales forces, certainly in my experience, have always been really bad at all the way up and down the organization is really knowing when you lose, why you lost. Oh, yeah. And at, way back when I was a national sales manager at Xerox Computer Services, I got to redesign the loss report. And these were long sales cycles, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sales cycles. And then the re you have to do a loss report. If you, if it was on your pipeline and it didn't come in, you had to do a loss report. So I put boxes for, you know, price and features and that. just for the hell of it. I put poor salesmanship as one of the options for the loss. Mm -hmm. Never was that box checked. <laughs> <laughs> at all, ever, by one single salesperson. When salespeople win, they want to be a lone ranger, but when they lose, they want fingerprints on the gun. They want somebody to blame. They want to blame their manager or the product or the price or whatever. Well, here's so, If you can't analyze why you lost, it's really hard to start tweaking. Yeah, well, let me, before, Anthony, before we jump to you, let me give this fact that comes out of our friends at Closed that do win-loss analyses. And they, in their recent study they'd done, they found that when they compare the reason put into Salesforce or whatever CRM for loss to what the buyer said about the same deal, the sellers were right only 15% of the time. I'm surprised that much. <laughs> <laughs> and now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win-back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed-loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win-back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win-back opportunity within days of it being marked as closed-lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win-loss interview when the deal was marked closed-loss in the CRM. And the buyer said, well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlosstoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlosstoolkit.com. That's winlosstoolkit.com. And now a message from Alego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Lego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing sales and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. 
see how it all can work for you, go to alego.com slash demo. That is alego.com slash demo. Go ahead, Anthony. It can't be me, right? It has to be them. Yeah. That is a, another way to, to be stunting people's growth and arrested development. Like you have to just look at it and say, I botched this up. How did I botch it up? I don't know, but I botched it up. And if you would do that and get just very clear about this and to Mike, to your point, they're always going to point at something about the buyer. It's like they didn't understand our value proposition. Well, how did they not understand it? You were the one right. sitting across from them. Yeah, it's always you. And the people who do the best in sales are the ones that would immediately say, I messed this thing up. <laughs> I didn't handle it right. Two people came in. I didn't have any no notion that they were even going to be here. They had no idea what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> and I lost. And then I'm not going to do that again. Good. Okay. Now we got somewhere. Just My very favorite. hard if you don't believe that you're the source of the loss. Oh, yeah. Well, one, and one of my favorite stories, and I sort of, I was feeling, one of the things you hear and you fill in the details as soon as you hear it, as the last day of a month, I was on a train. I was going up to, from some Penn Station here in New York. I was heading up to Boston, see my daughter, and I was in college at the time. And this young guy in a suit comes rushing onto the train and sits in the seat in front of me and immediately gets on his phone. And I could tell he was talking to his boss. And I could tell... It wasn't a good conversation. And finally, I could hear this guy say, well, the buyers were just liars. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, that explains it all right there, right? You can just sort of fill does. in the, the, what was going on there. Is that wasn't my fault. The buyers were just liars. So, in one respect, they are because most buyers won't tell the salesperson the truth about why they lost. They feel bad. They nurtured a relationship together for three or four months. The buyer knows that poor salesman's going to have to, you know, go back to the office with his tail between his leg because he didn't win or stuff. And they have some relationship. So the buyers lie too. They say, you know, Andy, I like you the best, <laughs> but your competition had this one feature that we just couldn't get around and everybody wanted it, but we liked you the best. Yeah. So it's really hard to find the real human reason, human being to human being, why they didn't buy, because nobody's telling the truth. They had five people competing. Four of them yeah. got that same call. Yeah. 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 They're letting you down yeah. easy. They're letting you down easy. You like so it's not the truth and the sellers don't want to look at the truth. You know, I mean, well, but, what if the buyer would have had the guts to say, Anthony, the reason we didn't go with you is your competitor took the time to understand our needs before they gave us a demo. You had your demos out on the first call. You were just throwing your product at us. Your competition helped us understand the true ROI, what the cost is going to be, the training, the implementation. You know, we really feel like we're going into it with a full mind. You didn't do that. You know, they don't have the guts to say to the salesperson, here's why you're really lost. But to Anthony's point, though, and then Vince will jump to you, is as a seller, I always sort of knew, right? I mean, I was trying to keep my fingers on the pulse of the buyer along the way taking advantage of that relationship, the connection I had to 
you're right. You never know hundred percent. Right. But as, if you're self-aware to some degree, you have an indication certainly. Right. Yeah, well, look, at, look, I think let's distinguish. I think best sellers, the top sellers out there are honest about their opportunities and they uh-huh. get to the truth. Win and loss, right? Yep. I've had salespeople before, every time they win, they say they win because superior salesmanship, right? That's the yeah. ridiculous. And then when they lose, they say it's either product or it's price. The buyers the are liars. sellers I've managed or worked with always say the real reasons why they won or lost. They're interested in the truth because why? You can learn from the truth. You can't learn from incorrect information or just what you want to hear. And if I'm a buyer, I agree. But I haven't developed a relationship with the seller. How transparent am I going to be? Like, I don't care. You, you're the one that called me. You're the one who was interested in me buying your product. I don't owe you anything. So probably I'm going to tell you it was either price or product, just so you leave me alone and stop right. asking to talk to my boss, right? Well, so people listening to the show are probably going to be tired of me given this particular story. But yeah, it was a company in Australia run by Joan and Kim McLaughlin called Trinity Perspectives. They do win-loss analyses. They've done thousands of interviews with decision makers over the last dozen years. And a year ago, Kian sent me slides. He said, you know, we've summarized our findings over these, you know, thousands of interviews over a dozen years into nine reasons why you win deals and nine reasons why you lose deals. Not one of the 18 reasons was product or features or price. It was all about the performance of the individual seller. It was about that connection with the seller, the performance of the seller, how they experienced the seller. Yeah, well, um, good thing we'll be replacing them with AI bots soon, so we don't even need those human beings involved. Yeah. You know, can we just have just one getting in the conversation way. It, you know, without Chat GPT coming into it? Is there any way to do that now, or is it impossible? I wasn't. Well, gonna... If I've ever seen a profession that would the majority were mediocre enough that they could be replaced by AI, it's enterprise selling. Oh wow. Because at best, 15% of them are the type of people we'd all like to have selling for us, and 85% are mediocre or worse. I have the same experience. And just don't People who are great, and then everybody else is average or less. It's unfortunate. I think it's still because my theory is sales leaders don't understand sales effectiveness. And so they've turned to technology to try to get better results. And so they're trying to get efficient as if you can win by being efficient. In fact, I would say you're going to win by being inefficient, spending more time with people. And Mm -hmm. I keep Mm -hmm. seeing all these people who want velocity. I want the speed of deal. No, you want to win. You want to win the deal. Like it doesn't matter how fast you win it. You have to win it. And when you start trying to say, I need you to go faster for these deals because the quarter's ending. You're just, you're setting yourself up for a really tough time in the future, in my opinion. I think you have to slow down, do really good work. There's, when you look at LinkedIn, all you see is people trying to do spray and pray, which I thought we got rid of at some point. All they've done is use technology to make it even faster and even more disruptive for buyers who already get, I've done a bunch of research on emails now. There's 4 billion people on planet Earth that have an email. That's half of us, right? Yeah. Every day on planet Earth, there are 293 billion emails sent. That's the Ooh. number to four, four, 4 billion of us. And all you're doing is getting people that get 140 emails every day right. and process that in three minutes. That's seven hours for you 
to read and respond to those. No one can do it. And so I believe that salespeople in the future are going to be facing the cold outreach apocalypse because you're not getting an email to anybody. Like it's deleted on site, right? And then it goes wherever emails go to die and that's it. And they're waiting for somebody to come back and say, yeah, we'd like to meet with you. I I believe that happens 0% of the time. I hundred percent agree with you. I never liked the word velocity in sales. Cause I'm like, well, what does that actually mean? Why? And great. Why is that good? Cause at the end of the day, we should be, we should have momentum. We're building momentum, not velocity. Right. I don't know if you're, you know, are, do you have continuity? Do you have building a relationship? Are you moving your progression of your opportunity in the right direction? That's what I'm looking for. Right. We just don't want dead I- Silence. I'm, I'm stealing the whole thing from you. Thank you. It, it is. You want momentum, not velocity. And if that people would think that way, it's a much better way to think. Are we progressing? Yeah, we are. And it's moving closer. Great. And Why I do see you velocity, the word velocity is a problem, but also so is what we started this topic about was the top of the funnel of like, I need more on the top of the funnel. No, we don't need more on the top of the funnel. You know, we need more of at the bottom of the funnel. That's what we need more of. How do we get that? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, this is one of the problems. Because 100% of 100 is, you know, just come on. Well, to the point Anthony made before about, you know, too much lead, too many leads, you know, the stat that came out of the book, Strikingly Different Selling, to survey of, you know, four or 5,000 companies around the world, B2B, you know, win rates were 17% on average, right? For deals. That is unbelievable. Listen, I have two staffing companies that I still have a role in. Right. The one that I grew up in, I have four salespeople there, four total. We do $50 million a year with four salespeople. Right. Their win rates are between 85 and 95%. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if they want to win it, they're going to win it. Right. And then they walk away from anything that we don't like. They just walk away from right. it. And then in the other one, I have one salesperson. It's a startup. And I have 5 million with that one in the startup because the effectiveness level is high. And so this is why I am so laser focused on if you could just get effective, like if you can teach them, if you can develop them, if you can coach them, if you could go actually work with them and go see how they sell. I'm afraid that people would leave crying after they watched one of their salespeople sell because it would be hideous and they would probably need grief counselors on site to, to help them get back into the car. I mean, it's the only thing that matters is you have to be effective enough to win. And when you see 17, Andy, I didn't know that number. That's shockingly bad. I mean, shockingly bad. But I mean, in broad swaths of certainly the tech space and the SaaS world, yeah, low 20s, mid 20s win rates. Hey, you know, I was again reading a post from somebody on LinkedIn, again, pretty well known. Actually, this was an executive CRO level guy doing his calculation and talking about you know, this time when you have somebody following up the leads, it's going to be a top seller with a 25% win rate. It's like, what? <laughs> Since when did we decide oh, no. top was 25%? Oh. I mean, I think, you know, if you're a top seller, your minimum standard is you win more than you lose. That's slightly over 50. Yeah, this is the, that's the minimum standard to be considered a top seller. You win more than you lose. Yeah, but look, I think it's the definition of what is a win rate, right? We're not getting into that. Like we're all talking about, maybe we're all talking about a different calculation of win rate. The win rate of opportunities versus opportunities one total. I don't really care about that. 
What I care about is the opportunity that the salesperson said, I'm willing to pursue it. Yes. I want to track it from there on. Not that's the what MQL. it is. You Absolutely. said this is worthwhile pursuing. Yep. I want to track your success right there. Now, if we're talking about 50%, that sounds realistic to me. But if you're telling me, because, you know, look, no, no, I've we're, been in we're it. measuring, like, we're measuring it that way. On this show, that's how it's measured, Vince. That's what we're talking about. We're not but talking about. I can about tell you in the SaaS world, that's not it. Like the salesperson says, I, the BDR says, I gave you this opportunity. You're working it. And he says, all right, I'll see what I can do. He accepts it when it's ready lost. It was well, never know. to be but won. It's never it. qualified. That's, and that's one of the real problems is, yeah, how does, and that's a great point is, yeah, acceptance rates are part of the issue, right? It is because people are making the choice to spend some of their time on these opportunities to Anthony's point, opportunities that they're just never going to win as opposed and to why is that? Like the, the sales managers right. and the sellers are in the same situation. You know, it's not the greatest times to be out there selling certain things. And so I need to justify my existence by the number of opportunities I'm working on. Now that's a culture problem, right? That should not be what we're measuring to ever. Right. But why do, why has it become sort of de facto, that's the culture across so much of sales these days. Lazy leaders. They're just lazy and not thoughtful. I mean, that's what it is. Especially when you get to Silicon Valley, that's just like, everything's a transaction, right? And you have mm -hmm. to do it as fast as possible because all we're trying to do is reach into people's wallets and take their money as fast as we can. And then I'm going to flip it, right? And then I'm going to go flip another one and that's what I'm going to do. I think that's it, is that leadership doesn't understand how this works. And you're right. When you get these MQLs and then they turn into SQLs, mm, it doesn't SQOs. mean anything about that at all. It just means you have somebody wasting time on something. And I would say strategic targets are way better than leads. And I never let anybody do. You're going to give me 60 companies that you're going to pursue and I'm going to help you pursue them, but I'm not going to look for cold leads that are probably dead before I even see them. Even yeah. though zero time selling says to get there first and fast, right? <laughs> but to the right ones, because I said in the book, same in the book there is you're like the bouncer at the head of the velvet rope, right? You don't sell yeah. just to everybody that says you want, they want to sell to you or you, they want you to sell to them is you make a choice. Who are you going to yeah. sell to? Who's worth your time? And that was in that book as well. Cause it's, yeah. you know, otherwise you're just choosing to waste your time and you're going to end up losing 80% of the time or more. I mean, that's the thing that I always find sort of amazing is that, you know, one of the big keywords you, know, you hear out of the Valley and startups is you know, product market fit. It's like, well, you've got this low win rate. So one of two things is that operation here. Either you don't have product market fit with a 25% win rate or you just suck at selling or is it both? Probably both. Yeah. It's a uh, oh? multifactorial. There, there's more than one. <laughs> well, so, okay. So Anthony, maybe I know your answer, but we'll start with you as on this one is if you had sort of one bit of advice for an individual seller, knowing they're in this environment to start focusing on becoming more effective and you can be two bits of advice, but what would you start with? I have a theory. So I'm going back to our beginning of this. Uh oh, not My a theory. theory is that the only people that are going to succeed in enterprise level sales in the future are going to be an expert that has authority about understanding the problem well enough and the experience well enough to be able to win those deals. 
I think these people who are young that are getting in and they've not been trained well, they're using things, just structures and approaches that are not effective in this environment, and they're getting clobbered. I'm going to tell you, I have $5 billion companies that have reached out to me and told me we can get a first meeting and we can't get a second meeting. What does that tell you? The first call is so bad, but here's the other thing I'll say about this because we've been talking about pipelines. The CRM rules for most companies are when you get done with your first meeting, you log the opportunity in your CRM. Dumb idea. They didn't have a second meeting. If they have a second meeting, maybe you have an opportunity. But that first one means nothing because you're ghosted and that thing is going to live there. And I saw one pipeline with a senior leader. They were sharing all their pipelines. There was a deal that was over 1,700 days old. They had a sales cycle of 90 days. 90 days is their average cycle. And I looked at that and I said, that deal is going to be going to first grade next year. Like it's already there. Like that's the oldest deal I've ever seen. And I said, do you have any that are like getting ready for a driver's license? They're so old. Why are you leaving this in there? And the senior leader's like, are you saying my guys are lying? And I'm like, no, I just think you're all oblivious. Like, right. To give it 1,700 days, I promise you don't have a deal. Yeah, well, yeah. And it just shows me yeah, the level of rigor or lack thereof that. Yeah, you want to know the end of the story? Yeah, go ahead. I, I ended up telling the senior leader, you think you have $200 million worth of pipeline and you need to net 60. I had your sales operation leader take out everything over 90 days. Mm-hmm. He had 60 million, not 200. And he had to net 60 million out of 60 million. That was not happening. Yeah. No. Not at a 17% win rate. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is if you remove something from your pipe, pipeline, you have to replace it. And we're measuring them by pipeline and and they all hate to, they know they're going to have to pick the phone up if they walk away from something they could walk away from, they're going to have to prospect. And they hate to prospect. That's what the eyes for, I guess, now, according to LinkedIn. Well, but, it, and Vince, I mean, this is something you've been most recent experience with is, you know, your AEs, when you're a customer and so on, I mean, what percentage of their opportunities did they have to source themselves versus what flowed through from marketing? You know, it's, it's a, you know, this is a topic I, I was hoping we were going to jump into, which is, you know, when I first started in sales, you did every full cycle sale, right? You yeah. created your lists, yeah. accounts, all, people, yes. all that stuff. And it made you a better seller because we go back to be, we were inefficient. I had to take the time to curate all this stuff. And so as we move forward, we took less and less responsibility away from the AE and said, you're so good. I'm just going to hand you over. A, it's on a silver plate. Because you're, you're a closer. You're a closer. You're a closer. So like, I can be persuaded both ways of there's specialty in sales, sure. right? BDRs helping ADs and all that stuff. But we did require a percentage of the AEs to source their own leads. And we did emphasize why that's important to you, to the company, and so on and so forth. So we made it part of your, you know, expectation of your job. And they did a pretty good job. And guess what? The opportunities that they sourced that became real, 
Way higher close rate. Could you way higher that? close rate? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that can't be true, Vince. Come on. <laughs> well, I like just, actually I just, having conversations with people and doing the whole thing at full cycle. You do you think that's an advantage? Well, imagine I mean, this. Like I'm going to call this account and this person at this account because they fit our exact ICP. So I think my theory is that I might have a better chance of actually having a conversation with them because we've helped people just like them solve the same exact problem. Can you imagine that, right? And now, a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. Look no further than Cognizant, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. Cognizant's US data set alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. 7 million human verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98% accuracy rate deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizant offers the most complete GDPR compliant data in Europe, making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizant. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizant's cell phone data. But don't take our word for it. Get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to Cognizant.com slash data sample to get your free data sample today. That's Cognizant.com slash data sample. I mean, I saw a company had sent me their win rate data recently I was looking at as and they sort of bucket into you know, inbound, outbound, and in essence, another category, which is in essence was self-source leads. And in the early days of the company, when they're sort of less mature before the marketing had really ramped up, their win rates on their self-sourced was, yeah, 50, 60, 70%. Mm-hmm. And they had a much higher quantity of them. It was still wasn't the lion's share of the business. But then as they became more proficient at top of funnel and inbound and so on, the number of opportunities in the self-source just have dropped almost to nothing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, again, we're talking about management using data to inform theories. It's like, we know how to win this type of business and we know how to win it. You know, the self-source leads, we know how to win it. Yeah, probably at a higher ACV. I didn't have that data, but probably a higher ACV. And we're certainly winning at a much higher fraction of them. Let's do more of that instead of, oh no, let's pour all of our money into, you know, generating inbound leads that we close and win at a 20% rate. Versus a 60, 70% rate. And you're just talking about the win rate. You're not even talking about the retention rate of those same opportunities. Yeah. 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 So self-sourced, high win rate, self-sourced, high retention rate. Probably. Probably. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I completely agree. It's a theory. Yes, I know. I have a theory. Why then so there's so much Taylorism in this? Like there's, we're just slicing it into more and more slices as we go along. And I don't understand it because I, I would want what, Vince, what you just said was really, I think, the thing that I, if I'm going to take anything away from this, I think it's exactly right. We need full cycle salespeople. And we, we need them to be able to do it from beginning to end. And that is how they get developed. I don't think that if you go to the gym and you're like, I'm just going to do barbell curls with one arm, I don't think that's very helpful. I think you have to do the whole thing. And I think that's an important takeaway for people listening to this. It's not that you can't have different roles, but if you do have BDRs, they ought to be on their way to being a grown-up, full-sales, cycled person eventually. 
Uh, well, Anthony, you leave them there, they get hurt. Your business, you've mentioned that you have four successful, really successful sales. I assume they're full cycle sales people, correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So there's the- we don't have leads. We already know everybody that we want in that business. We only want multi-million dollar companies that spend every single year because it's their strategy. That's all we ever look for. And so, it's the reason why you don't need to double your sales staff each year and triple it the next year because you know what reality is because you know your market really well. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, one of them started a deal and I in, inserted myself into that deal. And we have a, in two meetings, a three-year deal worth $42 million. That That's just their high effectiveness. And that's the only thing I ever cared about is like, how do you-, you any openings? I'm looking for an enterprise sales rep job. <laughs> 10% of 42 million. I can make pretty good living, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we Three break the offline? Yeah, I was going to say, how do we break the cycle, though? Of, or maybe it's not completely breaking. It's this idea that obsessed that we have to use, you know, our most inexperienced, low-cost people to have these opening conversations, which, you know, we can see for a certain level of business, that may make sense. But certainly, you know, for more complex enterprise sales, I always thought it was nuts. Uh, how do we break that cycle? I'm well, because the day shows I, that it's failed, right? I mean, you, I believe that in general, I could make the statement. I know this will probably irritate some people, but the predictable revenue model that people have used generally been a failure. So we've had been doing it for 20 years now, and it's worked for companies that was they were going to succeed regardless of the sales model they were using. So, so how do we break? 20 years you? ago, though, people would open your email. Or is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Not now, though. Well, no, so I, how are your people prospecting? You know, these guys that are full cycle sellers, what's working for them? This phone, the phone. They pick up the yeah. phone and they call people. Shocking. And listen, yeah. I told what a concept. Yeah, I told one of them. I no told one, one answers. Them, quote unquote. No one answers phone anymore. Quote unquote. Well, it doesn't ring. You don't. But if That's it does, right. you are gonna you're gonna do it. One of the reps I told, I said, we're going to have this apocalypse of cold outreach. And I'm afraid what we're going to end up having to do is a real cold call. Now, the real cold call that I had to do, which right, is walking in the door and yep. asking to speak to the decision maker. Yep. Right. And she said, oh, I like that a lot better. Because <laughs> uh. she can walk in and get somebody to talk to her. So she knows that's an advantage because when she walks in and she starts talking to people, she wins deals. So they're excited by the idea of, wait, if everybody else can't do this and we could walk in, I was yeah. taught, and maybe you guys were too, or maybe I'm not the oldest person here because Andy- Dude, Not even be. close, not even close, but yes, go ahead. I had to walk across the street. If I visited a client, I had to go across the street and I had to leave with a, at least a business card and then both sides. Like both sides of this, that's how I was taught to sell. So you go to see your client and then you have to walk into three or four more places mm -hmm. and you have to ask for a decision maker and sometimes you get them and sometimes you get a meeting and other times they, well, the worst thing that happened to me is I happened to be in Century City and I got to the 11th floor and that was where the Secret Service were when Reagan was in that building. And they did not, they did not appreciate my visit. They were not amused. <laughs> no, they were not. <laughs> they helped me find my way out. 
But you know oh, what? You good. know what I picked up on what you were talking about of going store to store or office to office is you were looking for the decision maker. You were looking for the highest authority. And guess what happens when you speak to the highest authority, whether it's face to face or through a phone call, right? You're going to cut to the cut. You're going to find out what their problems are, understand their challenges, and try to come up with a solution with them. They don't have time to waste. So stop using marketing jargon. You're going to walk in bold enough to do that. And people are nicer face-to-face. They're less likely to turn you away. They're more likely to listen to you. Whereas an email, like you said, delete. And it's typically to a low-level person anyway. So the higher you go to have a real conversation, you just increase your chances of actually discovering a real opportunity. Yeah, I mean, every time you hear it, read something that people say, oh, it's impossible to get anybody on the phone these days. It's like, yeah, they have no understanding what it used to be like, where everybody had a receptionist. And you're talking to a senior executive. They all had an admin who screened 100% of the phone calls. I mean, you never got through to anybody. And there was no voicemail. As I like to tell people, is how many times, I don't know, Mike, you experienced this. Maybe Anthony, you did too. And you're out making cold calls. Is literally the admin or the receptionist would write down your name on the pink slip of paper that you had called. And you could hear them tearing it up as you walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, they can't tear up a voicemail. Well, I wrote a code on smokestacking cold calling in 1974. We were selling first-generation MRP systems. I was 28 mm-hmm. years old. And so my marketing people gave me, here are the 237 manufacturing companies in your territory, and they all have a perfect fit for what we have. And so, you know, I'd go walk in. I'm 28. I'd go up to the receptionist and say, Hi, my name is Mike Bosworth, and I'm with Xerox Computer Services, and I'd like to see your materials manager. She picks up the phone, calls the materials manager, and says, I've got this guy from Xerox out here who wants to talk to our materials manager. 80% of the time they'd come up because they're back then. If you were a materials manager 50 years old in the manufacturing plant, the only way you could learn about cool new technology for manufacturing was to see the salespeople from mm-hmm. IBM or DEC or whatever. Right. That's how they learned about technology. Well, they don't need salespeople to learn about technology anymore. So 80% of the time, the guy would come out and then he'd see my age. He's 48, I'm 28, and he'd look at his watch. Yeah. Because immediately they think, oh God, now I have to be, I, I have to be nice to this person for five minutes. And but so I confirmed the job title. So you're the materials manager. And he'd say yes. And I'd say, can I share a quick story with you about another materials manager I've been working with less than a mile from here for the last 18 months? Never once did anybody ever turn that story down. And in that one minute story, I led him to the emotional conclusion that even though I look young, I understand how hard his job is, and I've helped somebody just like him less than a mile from here, and I'd go meet that person if I want, and then after 60 seconds, I see enough about me, what's going on here? And invariably, they would say, you want to come in and look around? So that story, one 60-second story, changed their paradigm and got them to open their mind up or eliminated the discovery resistance that most right. people have against salespeople. Hey, right. Mike, how much training time did you get at Xerox before you went out selling? 
Well, it's an unfair question. The people we hired as salespeople, they got six weeks of demo school. I got hired right out of college, so I had a year in the help desk, and I had a year out helping people implement the MRT system first. So I could tell real stories where all these other guys go out and say, hey, can I show you a demo of our MRP system? I, I, I think that's the oper operator's advantage. Like, you already know how everything right. works. You can talk so about what any I had, problem they, they have. Product expertise. I had solution expertise. Yeah. I could look at a situation and know, oh, this isn't a fit for us, or this is a perfect fit for us. And so it's the real key is developing solution expertise, but that takes a long time because most companies, they have their product marketing people teach the new salespeople the product, and they're teaching product expertise not solution expertise. Yes. Most product marketing people don't know how their customers are successfully using their product to make money or save money. But how, they tell you all about the product. But isn't part of the issue? How can it is be different if they go to onboarding and the first thing they do is sit down and say, here's all the information you need to talk about our company and our highly charismatic CEO that everybody loves. And then yeah. let me show you our trophy case of all these logos that we've won and you right. have to know all these what do they think they're doing and then they get to product and it's like i once was at a, a keynote at a kickoff meeting and the product manager literally said all you have to do is show them this it sells itself <laughs> and i was like maybe not you've got 1100 <laughs> salespeople here yeah apparently it doesn't sell itself and they're all all over 100 percent of quota well, but isn't part of the issue, though, too, these days is that, again, back to the specialization issues, we've completely divorced sellers from the implementation, and they really don't know the product anymore. I mean, they know enough, maybe perhaps, maybe know enough to sort of gain some interest and perhaps sell it, but they count on, you know, a sales engineer to do the demo, and they count on, you know, CS to do all the implementation, and what do they really know about solution what do they really know about the customers and how they're using the product they don't and they weren't trained in it they're yeah. just kind of thrown out there yeah yeah and it's like yeah we talk about full cycle i mean i learned i sold you know to the construction industry you know the first couple of years of my career hey i was when we sold something we were i was in there right i wasn't doing you know engineering work with the customer but yeah, we were out you there. You got the to see the before and after. Absolutely. You got to witness how they did business without your product. And then you got to help them use your product to do their job better. And with that knowledge, you're golden. Right. But Andy, what's the average time a sale a new SaaS seller gets for training? Ninety days. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety days. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey. You start on Monday, the next Monday, I think you're going to start selling. You're, you're on the phone. Yeah, you're on the yeah, phone. Yeah, but hey, yeah. I, was, I was out my first day and my first day on the job, the first professional, I was shoved out the door. But yeah, I wasn't selling a complex solution. Either. And by the way, the sales training is mostly about sale of enablement, meaning here's the 50,000 tools I'm expecting you to know and use right. and record all this stuff. Just not yeah. the stories that Mike's talking about. Yeah. Right. I, I think sales training has been broken for a long time. I was just thinking about how many companies that do one day training in their sales kickoff. And then I'm thinking, 
Well, I think there are 12 big pieces of sales that you need to master. So we're going to give them that over the course of 12 years. That should work. <laughs> so everybody needs negotiation at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody needs, and they just pick a theme. And I'm like, why'd you pick that theme? Well, we haven't done that one in a while. <laughs> okay. Well, that might not be the best way to make that decision, huh? Like, Maybe there's a better way where you look at their competencies and determine, like, what do they need to know now? And it's just odd when you get to see these things in real life. Or yeah. do the thing that would shock most people is go ask your customers what they need from your salespeople, right? I mean, as a manager, I mean, I, you know, used to, on the previous podcast, you used to ask people, the managers, this all the time. Yeah, have you ever talked to your buyers about what they need for salespeople? Because, yeah. You know, based on data and what we're seeing is that it's all about their experience. Cause you know, the products they're buying, they all look alike. They all basically all do the same thing. They're all sort of priced the same. How it's dare you experience. say that the products aren't all completely yeah. unique. All uniquely different. Right. Yeah, right. And so it's the experience I have with the salesperson that makes the difference. So what do they need your salesperson to be? Oh, we need to hire. I had a really smart CRO one, the way he trained his new salespeople is he had a few really good customers. And so he'd say, Andy, I'm getting some new salespeople next week. Can I come send him out and interview you on how mm -hmm. you use our product? And great, I'll take you out cool. for a great game of golf or a steak dinner, but help him understand how you use our product in your business. Right. And he didn't do demo school. They'd have the salespeople go out and interview happy clients. Right. Say, show me how you, what you, how you use it. Well, how did you do it before you had our product? So the salespeople can get that before and after exactly. solution picture in their mind. That's what they need. Mike, that's how I learned to sell. I was selling to the limited Victoria's Secret catalog, big enterprise companies in Columbus. And I would sit down with a senior leader and I would say, how do I need to create value for you guys? What do you need from me? And I asked that question and they would answer it. And I had to say sometimes, help me understand your business. Like I hear you guys talking, but I don't understand the, you have a different language than I do. And I need to know these words. And everybody was helpful. They kept yeah. it limited. They kept saying throughput all the time. Like we're looking at throughput and I'm like, I know what that means, but it's math for you. But what's the math? <clears throat> a guy named Dallas Mulder said, do you want to see the spreadsheet? And I said, yeah, I'd love to see the spreadsheet. And he goes, here's you, your labor. This is it. And we're dividing it by how much we produce. Ah. Like, okay. Now, now I know something. About three days later, I walked in and I said, what do you guys say throughput numbers at another client? And they're like, you know what throughput is? And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Yeah. I know like this much, right? I only know a tiny bit, but I know that they care about it. And I yeah. asked people over and over again to tell me what I needed to know. It's the fastest way. They know what they want you to do. And if you ask them, they'll tell you. Right. Show me how you measure a throughput in your business. They'll be happy to show you that. I know there's this mythology that somehow if you don't yeah. show up as, you know, an expert, the CEO or someone has no time for you. And I just remember to your point, Anthony, you know, early in my career, you know, Mike was 28. You know, I started selling, I was 21. I looked 16 generously. Right. And yet I had CEOs and founders give me tons of time because I was doing exactly what you're doing, Anthony. I was showing up. I was sincerely interested in learning. They knew I was yeah. there with the good intent to be, want to be able to help them. And if I asked questions, they would always answer them.
I think I just have to one-up you, though, because I was cold calling at 15. Oh, you did? Well, there you go. You I cheered. I got two deals. Yeah. And then I quit because <laughs> I got a job. I was 15, and I went to a skating rink instead where there are 15-year-old girls. And they said, you're the only person that's ever got a deal, and you got two deals. You need to come back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a possibility. But that got you on your path to your rock and roll career, though. Yeah. That's right. That did. I, I don't know if you guys know, but Anthony was, you know, he was a rock and roller. He was going to, he went to LA to make it big in the music business. And it turned out. I that, did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Grunge took our kind of hair metal away. So that was the end of that. Did they take your hair too? No, the brain surgery took the hair. Uh, yeah. Another drugs story. Drugs will do that. Not the drugs. Yeah. Rock and roll. The drugs that no, were no. prescribed. Prescribed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. If we had, we'll have you back. We'll talk Legal about at the time. Yeah. Talk about your brain surgery. So we're sort of running out of time, but I wish we had more time, but I know. I think what we have to say is if you're listening to this and you're a sales leader, you really need to think about how you're going to get your team effective. That is the most important thing for them to do. And I think however you do it, whatever you decide to do, I think anything is better than leaving them how we find them right now with a 17% win rate. I think that there's a like a stakeholder map that we should talk about here. I'll say this. You hurt the rep. You hurt the rep's family. You hurt your clients when you don't have a better salesperson and you harm your own company. So mm-hmm. every single person in that stakeholder map gets harmed because we don't have an effective enough salesperson. And I think that's the first thing that leaders should think about. What am I doing with this individual? Am I helping them? Am I helping their family? Am I helping the client? Am I helping my own company? All of those things are, for me, completely aligned together. And I think that if we don't do something about it, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, and I, that's such a great point. I mean, I, you know, when I talk to sales managers, I sort of my idea of you know, what a salesperson's job is. You know, a salesperson's job is to listen to the customer, understand the things that are most important to them, and then help them get that. That's your job as a manager, too, right? To your point precisely, Anthony, you know, what's most important to this person, both in terms of their career and their family life and you know, personal yeah. life? And then how do you help them achieve that? But it takes some care. It takes some effort. You have to get beyond the numbers and work with this person as a person to be able to help them achieve these things. And I agree. Vince. I think oh part my, of the problem in America, American industry, is we have too many ex-military people running these corporations where it's hierarchical and you, know, you do what people do what the person above them tells them to do, and there isn't any room for thinking. They want soldiers. I'm going to give you a contrary opinion on that, which is, in my career, you know, the two best managers I ever worked for were ex-military. And what they had been trained is how to enable your people to make decisions, right? Because they knew that the commander always wasn't going to be present when decisions had to be made. And so my experience was the opposite. I worked for guys, you know, Naval Academy, another guy was Air Force Academy, best managers ever, because they gave me, they treated me as an individual and they encouraged me to think for myself and make decisions for myself. Well, when I was in the U.S. Army, I didn't get such encouragement. (laughs) I was taking orders from stupid people and the happiest day of my life was getting out of the military. (laughs) There you go. There you go. All right, Vince, wrap it up for us. Yeah, on that note. (laughs) 
I think my takeaway from today is two things, Run Sales leaders out there, momentum, not velocity, right? Let's right. know what the momentum should be from stage to stage or whatever your process is, and don't ever hold an opportunity that's 1,700 days long. That's just ridiculous. Second thing is this whole concept of actually being a topic expert, a product expert, because until you master what you're selling and the solution that you're selling, you shouldn't be out there selling. So take the time sellers out there. You don't need your management to do it. You can take the initiative to really be a product expert. And that's what's going to build your credibility when you go out to the field. And yeah, I mean, it's, cycle sale. it's not that you can't win business until you become that sort of peak expert. But when you show up with, like I said, with intent, you show up in a positive person, you show up somebody that's interested in them, they'll give you the time and they'll help you become that expert for sure. All right, guys, thank you very much. Before we hey, go, Barry. Vin, how can people get hold of you? Vince, start with you. Oh, me. I, yeah. There's this thing called LinkedIn. I don't know if you people have heard uh, about that out there, but yeah. you can type in Vince Beasy. I'm the only Vince Beasy on LinkedIn. All right. Anthony. TheSalesBlog.com or LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where we all are, right? TheSalesBlog. Do you have any new content on that? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. And... Mr. Bosworth, how can people reach you? LinkedIn works fine for me. Yep. All right. Thank you all for spending the time and I look forward to having you back on. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the Win Rate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests. Anthony Anarino, Vince Bisi, and Mike Bosworth for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, The Win Rate Podcast with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Win Rate Wednesday. Each week on Wednesday, you'll receive an actionable tip that you can put to use in your selling to become a more effective seller and to accelerate your win rates. So again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.